Hey friends, it's Weston, and I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with a BGCC family, know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text BGCC app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. Well, hey, I'm so glad you guys are here. And if you're new, my name's Weston. And um, just a few announcements just real quick before we get into things. Uh, One, want to let you know we've got our Christmas spirit night tonight for kids. This is elementary and bridge. That the fun for that starts at four, goes to seven. It's here, um, and then we've got a bridge. The bridge is doing that too. That's fourth and fifth, and then we've got a middle school progressive dinner. That's taking place from three to eight or seven. Just check your remind moms and dads, and if you've got questions, you can catch somebody after service. And then our high school is partying tonight from seven to nine. So a lot of stuffs happening this evening for our youth. It's going to be a big time. Um, this week we sent out some brochures and information about our Gifts for the King offering, and I wanted to tell you about a new ministry that we're partnering with, with Gifts for the King. Um, for those of you that are new, we don't do special offerings really here at Bowling Green Christian Church. We do kind of this one annual thing, and one of the things we're going to do with this offering is partner with a group called Churches United in Christ Help Ministry. It's, it's a terrible acronym. It's like Chewy Cum or something, like Chewy Chum or like... Jimmy Chong. I I got nothing for you, but anyways, uh, they do a really great work. I went down with them uh, one uh, one week. I was down at First Christian Church downtown and was able to kind of see how they do things. Uh, They're just there helping folks who who need some help financially. They take care of things like utilities and prescription bills and um, that kind of stuff. And so I was there and was able to meet folks coming in who, you know, they were caught up on their rent and they, you know, a lot of these folks were working. One gal had just had some pretty horrific surgery and she was waiting for her disability to come through. And a lot of agencies in town, because you're waiting on this or that, you know, they can't help you because of the different rules and red tape, but the churches could sort of stand in that gap and be a help. And so we were able to keep lights on for folks, um, and families, for that month, and that was a pretty awesome thing. And so we're hoping through this that, uh, well, not hoping, but we're going to give the first $12,000 of our gifts for the King offering to helping folks in Bowling Green with that. And that's going to be sort of our fund to help through the next year. So as you think about King, as you think about year-end giving, uh, I would say, man, that's a really worthy cause. And I'm excited for us to be partnering with that. So as you're thinking about what, what your gifts for the King offering might be, I'd encourage you to pray about that and to consider the good work uh, that's going to be happening there. So, anyways, just wanted to sort of give a plug there for Churches United in Christ Help Ministry. I, I don't know. We're gonna, now that we're going to partner with them, we're going to need you to work on that name something, I guess. I don't know. Anyways, all right, so that's that. Uh, today we're back in our series of joy. Um, how many of you had any of these? You seen anything like this come to your house lately? Yeah, right. It's it's all over, right? This one caught my eye, though, because uh, you maybe can't read it there, but it says, warning, contents may cause happiness. 
And I thought, man, that's awesome. And so here's what happened. I opened the box, and it wasn't glitter, but it was light glitter opened, and rainbow glitter filled the whole room, and uh, light broke forth, and it smelled like fresh-baked cinnamon rolls, and my heart was filled with light. And I was so happy as soon as I opened the box. And I think it was just like toothbrush heads or something in here. Uh, you know, it, it's funny because we're in the midst of like marketing season and people are, are, are hitting it hard, right? Because they want your dollars and they, they're not just selling, you know, an air fryer. They're not just selling, you know, a, a toy. They're not just selling a game. What they're selling is this idea that if you spend enough money and buy the right product, you can get happiness. And there's something in us, I think, it's empty. Uh, there's something in us, I think, that kind of buys into this, right? That, that we think, man, there's something else we need that if we have it, it would in fact make us happy. Last week, we started the series looking at how joy is a choice. But, but if you've lived in reality like the rest of us, you know that you can choose to be joyful and yet still have a rough time. And so joy is a habit. And it's something we've got to practice. And, and let me tell you, it's not something you can buy. It's not some place you can move to. We live in Bowling Green. Now, if I were to, well, this is just, just for funsies. Let's just ask. How many of you are from Bowling Green originally? Put your hand up. Oh, man, this is perfect. How many of you are from someplace else originally? Nailed it. Yes. Over half the people in Bowling Green, in this room it's like 75% are not from Bowling Green. How many, oh, this, this, oh I'm having so much fun. Let's try, let's try the next question. How many of you, Bowling Green is a huge metropolis compared to where you live? I see those folks from Salt Lake, Kentucky. Thanks for, for joining us here this morning. How many of you, Bowling Green is like a small sleepy hamlet, like on the outpost of civilization? Yeah, okay, thanks. I see that hand. Awesome. Appreciate it. Back in the back, all over. Hands all over the room. Praise God. All right. Um, yes, I mean, that's kind of how it, it falls for a lot of folks. People move to Bowling Green, and they're like, man, I always ask people, like, you know, what, what's it like? And they're like, I'm just trying to get used to the big city. You know, it's just, there's just so much happening here. You know, there's just so much going on. And, you know, it's overwhelming for some of you. Others, you know, you've moved from larger places, and I'm like, what's Bowling Green like? You're like, I don't know, it's kind of growing on me, you know, it's, it's small, it's tiny, you know, it's, it's, you know, remote outposts, you know, we don't have a Trader Joe's or whatever, you know, thing you want to complain about, um, you know, but I'm, I'm learning to be happy. Now, here's what I've also learned. Bowling Green is Hotel California, okay? That's what the Eagles were singing about, because you can check out any time you like, but friends, you can never leave this place. Okay, it's true. You just can't, you just can't go, and yet people come and move and go all the time to Bowling Green. Mostly, they don't ever leave, you know. But they're coming here, and and you've moved, and people are looking for a quest of happiness because they think, man, if I move this place, I'm going to be happier. Maybe for you, it's not a location, but it's a person, and you've been in a lot of different maybe relationships, maybe several marriages. I don't know. And each time you're thinking, man, this person just isn't making me happy. You know, if I, could, if I could have somebody else or marry somebody else or be with that person, maybe then I would be happy. And, and for you, it's not a place, but it's a person. Or, or maybe for you, it's, it's work. You know, when we were still collecting resumes, I, I felt bad. We got, you know, we got a couple from people that were just, man, they had been through like 20 churches in like the first two pages of the resume in like the last like five years. And they were staying at some place from six months to 18 months. And I've talked to folks like that. And what's funny to me is it's never their fault, right? 
You know, it's never their fault. It's always somebody else's fault that their job was miserable, and it's been this way for the last 10 jobs. You know, and so if they could do something else, they'd be happier. But, but here's what I've discovered is that, that it's usually not the place, and it's usually not the person, it's usually not the stuff, it's usually not the work, it's, it's us. Because you can move to another town, but when you unload all of your dishes, you're also going to be like, there's a box in there somewhere, it's not labeled, but it's like the dysfunction. It's all the dysfunction you had in the place before, and you're bringing it with you. Okay, you start a new relationship with somebody, and guess what? The same problems that you had, the neediness and the whatever else you have, guess what? You're bringing it into that relationship. Okay, you start a new job, but guess what? There's still going to be work there, and it's still going to be hard. And it's, it's not a place you're going to find joy. Because outside of the person of Jesus Christ, nobody's going to give you joy. Outside of work for the kingdom of God, no job is going to make you joyful. Outside of living in the kingdom of God, in the presence of God, there is no place that is going to guarantee your joy. And yet people pack up and move, start new relationships, start new jobs all the time, thinking that maybe it's this place, it's this time, it's this person that is going to make me happy. It makes me think a little bit about the town of Bethlehem. We heard a little bit of reading about that, but just to refresh your mind, let's just look here at Micah chapter 5, verse 2. It says, but you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will rule over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. This is a prophecy about the Messiah or the Christ. It's the same thing. It's the same word, just different languages. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. There's a lot in this passage, but here's something that struck me this week as I was looking at it. It's this, is that joy may not come to us naturally, but it is always available. Joy may not come to you naturally, but it is always available. It may not be at your address. It may not be in your zip code. It may not be at your job. It may not be in your relationship. It may not naturally occur in your marriage, but it is available to you. Bethlehem was a little town. Nothing special about Bethlehem. Its claim to fame was that David, King David, was born there. But just because somebody famous was born in your town doesn't mean it's prosperous. Just drive through Hodgenville. Okay, Abraham Lincoln was born there. You don't want to spend a lot of time there, I promise you. Okay, you know, if you drive past them, they're not even on the interstate. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're like a 20 mile off the interstate kind of venture. The, the, the sign for them was like 1963, you know, 3A, you know, district regional football runner up. You know, that's, that's like their claim to fame and King David was born here. This is the town of Bethlehem. Okay, the jobs have left the town. The name Bethlehem itself means house of food. It's, what a great name, right? You know, so there's probably some sort of agriculture taking place. This is the town of Bethlehem. There is nothing here to write home about. And so if you're thinking to yourself about what's it like to be in Bethlehem, I mean, it's the kind of town where kids grow up and they dream about leaving. They can't wait to get out of this town. Bethlehem. There is no natural reason for joy. And yet people could find joy there. 
That's the thing about joy, is it shows up in places you don't expect. You see kids playing in abject poverty in trash in the street, and they're smiling. What have you got to smile about? Nothing. But they found joy, and they're making a habit of it. Friends, joy may not come to you naturally, but it is always available. It's a daily discipline. If you decided last week you were going to choose joy, and you thought, man, that's, that's it, I've decided, I'm choosing joy. But then you had to go to work on Monday, that's always a downer, right? You got to go to work on Monday, and your choice for joy was like, man, I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, there's no joy here in work. That's the thing with joy sometimes, is you've got to choose it every single day. Sometimes it's a moment-by-moment moment choice. You might struggle finding joy in your work or your relationships or the place where you live. But it's available. It is available. I just want to say this, because I know this is a time of year when families kind of come back together, and for some folks, it's a really joyful experience just naturally, but for others, it's a real struggle because you're constantly disappointed by your family. You're constantly let down. Maybe it's even your parents constantly letting you down. And, and part of the problem that comes with it is our expectations we put with things. We expect that, oh, maybe you know, for 20 years they've been this way, but this time it's going to be different. No, it's probably not. It's probably going to be the same. Sometimes the hardest decision, but the best decision we can make is to allow people to just be who they are, to lower our expectations and say, you know what, these people are going to be who they are, but I'm going to choose joy in the midst of it. You may not have a great father, but you could find joy in your heavenly father. And you could say, you know what, I'm going to allow this disappointment and frustration that I feel in this relationship to point me towards Jesus Christ. And here's the truth. Is that when your joy is rooted in God, it will never be disappointed. People are going to let you down, okay? You know, that dream job you had might turn into a nightmare. That, you know, that wonderful house you bought, it might be a money pit. I mean, I don't know. But, but when you put your joy in God and you decide that you're going to look for joy in God, you will not be disappointed. Now, here's the thing, and we saw this in the text of Micah, that this Messiah is going to come, right? But what's it say? It's, it's going to be hard. You're going to be abandoned. It's going to get dark. It's going to get difficult. That's kind of a constant message throughout Scripture, is that things are going to get worse before they get better. Which is why during good times, you need to remind yourself that your joy is in God because when the difficult times come, and they will, you need to be in the habit of finding joy in God. Now, the imagery that Micah has is of a woman giving birth. She's in labor. She's experiencing labor pains. But what? She's hopeful. Now, as a man, I don't have a lot of experience uh, with labor pains. And I'm also hesitant to just even talk about them because I know that it is like the standard, like the gold standard of pain, okay? And I know that like me stubbing my toe does not, does not get us there. I understand that. I, I know that. But here's also what I know about labor pains is that they generally don't cause people to quit. You know, a, a woman's carried this baby for nine months, right? And sometimes it's been really hard there have been times where it's been fun. There have been times where the babies kept you awake at night. You felt the kicking, perhaps. You know, you, you have had some pain, but now, you know, you're eager to meet your child. And then when the labor pain starts, even if you've been pregnant all through a Kentucky summer, 
People don't say, that's it. I've had enough. I've been, I've been pregnant. You know, I've had this child. And now it's starting to hurt. People don't give up at that point in time. Why? Because the pain signifies that joy is about to come. It signifies that the end is in fact near. The labor pain means it's game on. Because this child that you've only felt, you will soon get to see and meet and hold. And the name that you've picked and the hopes that you had and the dreams that you've dreamed are about to become born and you're going to meet this child. That's the image we get of our spiritual lives. That when we experience difficult things, it shouldn't cause us to give up. It should remind us that something better is about to come. It's about to come to us. Jesus, the child, is going to be born. It's going to be difficult, but the joy we will experience is going to be worth it. That's the imagery we see in Scripture. It's that we practice joy. And that if we practice joy, a reason for it will eventually become manifest. Because when our joy is rooted in God, we will never be disappointed. This is why we can choose joy in any circumstance. So here's the thing. I, I want this to be really practical. I don't want you to just sort of leave here today and be like, all right, I've got to decide to be joyful. I want to give you a list of ten things that will be things that... They're not going to change your life if you did all 10 of them. But if you did one or two of them, I think it would be just a little bit of a nudge in the right direction. Because really, what are we talking about? We're talking about a perspective shift, right? You know, we were focused on this, but now we're focused on our hope in God. We were, we were disappointed here, but when we turn our shift to Jesus, we're encouraged. And so I want to give you 10 things that, that you could do that would help you maybe shift your focus just a little bit towards God and the joy that he brings. Now, here's what I don't want you to do. I don't want you to be that person who, as you're leaving, you catch me and you're like, you know what, I'm going to do all 10 of these this week. No, you're not. You're not going to do any of them if you do that. I want you to pick one. For the overachievers, I want you to pick two. And I want you to do those just this week, really. Try, try one of them. Maybe try two. Because we need to learn how to practice joy in difficult times. All right, so here, number one. Remind yourself of the truth. Remind yourself of the truth. Just remind yourself every day who you are. You're a child of God and that Jesus is coming back for you. You could do this in a hundred different ways. You could read scripture first thing in the morning. You could, you know, you could tune into our podcast. You could, there's a whole host of other podcasts you could listen to. But something that reminds you about the truth. If you want to Google something fun, you could Google Craig Rochelle Daily Declarations. He's got this whole list of things he declares over himself every single day. I think it's an amazing habit. I've never done it. But, I mean, maybe that's you, and you're just going to declare that you are full of the Holy Spirit today, and that today, you know, you are more than a conqueror in Jesus Christ. And you're just going to remind yourself of that truth every single day. You see, we live in a time and a place where we're told things that aren't true all the time, that if we buy what's in that box, we'll be happier. So we have to work actively to remind ourselves about the truth as found in Scripture. So that's practice one. You could try that. Second thing you could do would be to practice gratitude. I've said this before. I'll say it again. I really believe that, that if you could pick one spiritual discipline habit to have, if you as parents could pick one spiritual discipline or habit to pass on to your children and you could only pick one, it would be gratitude. If you could develop gratitude in yourself and gratitude in the life of your kids, I'll tell you, it would change your life. And so practicing gratitude, I think, is key. 
How do you practice gratitude? Well, a couple ideas. One is you could have a gratitude journal. Uh, I've tried this for a while. I love doing this, actually. It's a habit I, I do a couple times a year. Or just write out at the beginning of every day three things I'm thankful for. And I try to make sure that every day it's something different. And so I just start the day just, hey, today I am thankful for. And sometimes it's coffee, and sometimes it's dogs, and sometimes it's my family, and sometimes it's time off, and sometimes it's work, and sometimes it's not having to go to work. I mean, it doesn't matter, but I just try to start my day with three things I'm thankful for. If you're not a morning person, guess what? This works just as well at night. You know, you could do it at night. Say, hey, three things that happen today that I am thankful for are these things. And if you write them down, here's what happens. is You get a chance to kind of flip back through and remember all the good things that have happened in your life. But practicing gratitude is key. Uh, third idea here is this, is that you can invite joy into each moment. Like, intentionally invite joy into each moment. Um, I read a book one time, it was, uh, who was, oh, I remember now, it was a, this Buddhist monk, he was talking about mindfulness, and he talked about how he just loved doing dishes because when he was a kid growing up, I think it was in Nepal, like the, the water would freeze and they'd have to like break through the water and then he moved to a country where they had like running hot water and he was like, it was like playing in the bath all the time. And I thought, I thought, yeah, I mean, that's true, right? Dishes can be fun. So I've really like just tried to invite joy into dishes. Like, man, this, this could be a great time. Try to invite joy into each moment. You might not like what you're doing, but there's something about it you could like to do. You know, I, I'm super scattered, and so I, I keep a running to-do list. I use a program called Todoist, and I love it because it gives me rewards of stuff done. What are those rewards? It just says, hey, you met your goal today. Good job. That's the reward. That's all I need, okay? And then it, like, it tracks my streak, and they're like, you've been so productive. And I'm like, I know. I have. Thank you for recognizing that. And soon I'm going to click into the highest level, enlightened. I know. It means nothing. It means absolutely nothing. But to me, it makes it joyful because as I click it, I see the meter kind of going up to the top and I'm like, ah, I'm killing it today. I'm killing it today. I mean, that, but that's for me. That's inviting joy into each moment. You got to take the trash out and it's a warm day in December. Man, guess what? You get to be thankful that you are having some outside time today. Thank you for the sunshine. It is a joyful walk to the trash can, okay? There are a hundred different ways to invite joy into each moment. Pick one and decide that today, man, I'm going to invite joy into this moment. If you struggle with this, you could pray. Like, I really believe God meets us where we are and you could say, God, I, I don't have a cause for joy in this. Would you help me to find a reason to be joyful in this moment? I believe God honors prayers like that. Invite joy into each moment. Fourth, be present in the moment and place you are in. Stop thinking about tomorrow. Stop thinking about later. Just be here right now. Yes, we all have a thousand things that have to get done today. I know. Yes, I'm there with you. But why don't you just be present in the moment? I think Jesus was trying to teach us this when he said, hey, don't worry about tomorrow. It's got plenty of worries of its own. Focus on today. Focus on today. Now, for me, because, again, I'm scattered and I, I keep things, you know, my mind runs around, I have to just write stuff down. Otherwise, I'm constantly thinking about later. I'm constantly thinking about tomorrow. I'm constantly worried about what's going to happen or that I'm going to forget something. And so for me to be present in each moment means I've got to write, write it down. I've got to say, hey, you're going to have to do this later. You've got to take care of this and you've got to make this happen. That's fine but then that allows me to be present in the moment. Be present in each moment because there's so much happening right here, right now that we're missing because we're someplace else in our minds, in our thinking, or on our phones. That's a thing, right? Keep your phone in your pocket, perhaps. 
but be present in the moment and the place that you're in. Uh, fifth, this one's tough, but I think this is kind of like the next level. If you've kind of gone through each of these and you're like, man, I'm nailing all those, this is yours. Allow disappointment to be an invitation to look for the good. Allow disappointment to be an invitation to look for the good. I don't know what it is, but I think that we're actually trained to complain. And when something goes bad, we naturally start looking for other things that have gone bad. And we just sort of have like this like mantra in our mind. We're like, oh, it figures, you know, it figures. It should have happened, you know. That's kind of the day, I, the day I've been heaven. We just kind of have this in our minds, I think. And so instead of that, what we could do is we could actually interrupt that thinking and we could say, all right, so this is bad, but what is good happening in this moment? What good is happening right here? It might be, you know, um, somebody says something rude to you and you want to like, you know, complain, you're going to allow that to ruin your day. And instead you say, man, what good have I learned from this? And it's maybe something as simple as, you know, I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to be that gal. So I'm going to allow this to be a reminder for me to be kind to the people that I meet. Because everybody's under stress right now, right? And so we're going to allow ourselves to have that be a reminder to have grace with others today. And so that could be it. Allow your disappointment, allow your frustration to be an invitation to look for something good. Um, fifth, sixth, I don't know, I've lost track now at this point in time. Um, pay attention to what triggers your moods. I think this is kind of a key thing. We sort of just coast through life and, you know, we don't pay attention maybe to the music we're listening to, and maybe that's bumming you out because you listen to bumming out kind of music, or maybe, you know, you find yourself that, like, it's like your blood pressure is so high that, like, if they poked you with a pin, like, it'd be like a stream, like a, like a geyser of blood would, like, run out because you're just, like, constantly stressed, and you notice that that's just, like, after you're watching, like, MSNBC or Fox, whatever you're, you know your news du jour is. I'm sorry, that hit kind of close to home, I could tell. Um, sorry. Um, but, you know, you, you kind of live in that zone, and you're thinking to yourself, man, I'm angry about everything. Why am I angry? Well, that, that might be why. You know, that might be why. What's triggering your mood? You know, you feel totally wiped out at the end of the day. You know, you come back from lunch, and you're like, man, I just never have any energy. Well, it might be that you're eating a chicken fried steak, you know, and mashed potatoes and gravy and corn on the cob, and you got so much starch that you just sweat in your shirt, it's ironed. You know what I'm saying? Um, maybe you got to just, like, change that up. Like, try salad or just, like, skip the mashed potatoes and go green beans. I don't, I don't know, but pay attention to what triggers your moods, and don't just be a victim of it, but say, you know, hey, what could I do that would maybe help me be a little bit happier? Um, try this. Pursue meaning over happiness. This is kind of a big one. Uh, Viktor Frankl is a Jewish psychiatrist who lived through the concentration camps, and he, he had this idea that in the pursuit of happiness, we actually miss happiness, because happiness is so elusive, but that if we would pursue a life of meaning, and if we would pursue something that mattered, that in fact that would give us greater satisfaction and would in fact increase our happiness. So pursuing meaning over happiness is something powerful. You could do that real practically by this next one, which is to do something for somebody else. Um, just, just, you know, maybe start your day with a simple prayer. Hey, God, could I be a blessing to somebody today? And then look for opportunities to do that. Whether that's, you know, a thank you note or an encouraging note or an email or a text or something that says, hey, thinking about you, you matter to me. Um, or maybe you're going to do something kind for somebody, you know, struggling. Um, you know, I don't know what it is. Uh, but if you do something for somebody else, I think that you will find it increases your joy. Um, you know, you could serve with something like grooming the in here. 
You know, you could serve with Meals Inc. We've got all sorts of things that, you know, happen throughout the year. Find a way to do something for somebody else. Uh, ninth, I know this is ninth because there's only one left. Uh, look for the good in other people and call it out. You know, uh, if you don't know how to do that, watch the movie Elf. Um, it's a great, it's a great uh, practice in that, you know. Uh, one of my favorite lines in there is uh, he tells the secretary, he's like, Deb, you look so pretty, you should be on a Christmas card. I mean, you know, that, this is what a kind thing to say to somebody, right? Maybe you shouldn't say that. I don't know. Um, depends on who you are, whether or not, you know, you could do that in a non-creepy, threatening way that would get you, like, sent into HR or not. But, I mean, you could try something else. You know, I appreciate your happy attitude. You have a nice smile. Um, you know, something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be creepy. It could be nice, you know. Um, anything there. But call out the good in other people. Uh, I'll, I'll never forget, I was at a conference one time, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of us going in and out of the bathroom, and there was this one guy there who's like, he is waging war against all 500, you know, people that are in and out of his restroom every hour, and he is like, man, this place is sparkling, and I'm sure, like, when he grew up, you know, he, his, like, life goal wasn't to be, like, the bathroom cleaner at the convention center, and so, I, but I was so impressed at how hard he was working, I just told him, I said, man, I've never seen one of these giant convention public, you know, restrooms so clean, you're doing an awesome job, and he just, he just lit up. And he was like, well, thanks, man. I, you know, we try really hard. And, you know, I, that made his day. I know it did. I could tell just by looking at his face. You know, calling people out, the good in other people, is an amazing thing to do. Finally, the last one here, I think this is key uh, so much, is this, is to bookend your day in prayer. Um, so often we skip through the day and we don't maybe even talk to God. This does not have to be long. I think sometimes as, as Christ followers, we have this idea that if we're not like spending like an hour like weeping before the Lord in the morning and an hour at night, you know, interceding for the entire world that, you know, we've not prayed. What if you just, before you, your feet hit the floor, you just said, hey, God, thank you for the day. Thank you for one more chance and opportunity to make a difference for your kingdom. Would you help me to make the most of it? And at the end of the day, I think such a helpful practice is just to kind of take a few moments. Again, it could take three minutes to just kind of sort of Think back through your day and say, God, thank you for being here. Or maybe there's a moment where you go, man, God, you know, I, I really messed this up. Thank you for your grace in this moment. And the practice of bookending your day in prayer is so, so very helpful. And I, again, I think the more we, we shift our perspective a little bit, it changes things dramatically. So pick one or two of these, try them faithfully this week, because I think each one has the power to nudge your perspective in just a different way. It, it reminds me a little bit of a parable that, that's told of this, this monastery that had just lost its spirit. They, they were depressed, they were angry, they were fighting with each other. You know, they'd gone to this place to seek, you know, some truth and enlightenment and experience of God, but it had just drained away. And so the abbot who's in charge, he's thinking, man, I just don't know what to do. And he'd heard of this hermit who lived out in the woods. This was a, a time when Christian, you know, faithful people just kind of go off and they were just going to live alone with Jesus. And so he said, I'm going to find this guy and see if he's got some truth for me. And so he went to this guy, he found him, and, and everybody knew he was going. And, and he asked him, he said, man, he's like, you know, the, the spirit of, of the brothers is just, it's down, it's depressing. You know, we're constantly at each other. Do you have any word for me? And the hermit said, he's like, I, I got nothing for you. I'm sorry. You know, I, I live by myself. Um, and so, I, you know, I don't, I don't have anything for you. He's like, but I, I, he's like, I do think God has told me that the Messiah actually lives among you. Like he's living in your monastery. And so I don't know what you're going to do with that. But I, 
I think he's there. That's the only thing I've got for you. And so he's like, I don't know what to do with this. And he's like, you know, here, I, you know. So he goes back and the brothers ask him, say, hey, what did he tell you? And he said, he told me nothing except that he thought that God had revealed to him that the Messiah lived among us. And so they all kind of took that and they didn't know what to do with it. But they noticed that, you know, the next day they started thinking about, you know, well, you know, what if it's, what if it's Brother John? You know, what if, what if that, what if he's Messiah? Or what if, it's in, what if the spirit of Messiah is in Brother Paul? And they started looking at each other a little different, like, like maybe, maybe Jesus was in them, or maybe, you know, maybe God had sent them to them, and they started to look at each other in a different way, they started to treat each other in a different way, and they, soon the whole spirit had changed because they were looking at each other as though they were Christ, their, their brother in Christ as part of the body of Christ. I, I think about that, and I think about the town of Bethlehem, and they've got this this prophecy, right, that says that the Messiah is going to come, that there's going to be the son that is born. And here they are living, you know, 1963, well, that's before that, so it's just like 63, you know, triple A regional, you know, district runner-up football champ and the birthplace of King David and all the jobs have left town. What do we have to be joyful for? Oh, did you hear about, did you hear about that new baby that was born? Do you think he's the Messiah? I don't know, I met him. He was a bright-eyed kid. Maybe that's the Messiah. Can you imagine the hope that they would have with every child that is born? And they think, man, maybe this is the one. And they started to practice joy. And eventually they found a reason in Jesus Christ because God never disappoints us when we make him a reason for joy. So friends, I know it's hard, but let's practice joy because in Christ we'll never be disappointed let me pray God thank you so much for the opportunity we have to be reminded of the reason we have for joy God so often we focus on the wrong things we think that more stuff or people or places that something else God is going to bring us joy God but it all disappoints because only you Jesus only you satisfy. Only you bring true and complete joy. And so this week, God, would you help us to be people that practice joy, that look for it in each other, that look for it, God, from you. Because I know, Lord, that we won't be disappointed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Church, this morning we're going to sing a song, and, and we, we do this each week, a song of decision. And perhaps for you, it's time for you to receive the, the joy that's coming from Jesus Christ. And if you, you don't know what that's like or how to do that, I'm going to be sitting over here. I'd love to talk with you, pray with you. You could catch me after service. If you're joining us online, you can just text the word prayer to our text number, which is 270-842-6231, and we'll be in touch with you. You could message us through Facebook if you're joining us online. But this morning, we just want to allow this time to be an opportunity where we commit ourselves to be people that are going to practice joy this week. Because, guess what? Stuff and places and people are going to let us down. And so we've got to practice reminding ourselves that true joy is only found in Jesus. So why don't you stand and let's worship together. What gift of grace is Jesus my Redeemer? There is no more 
for heaven now to give. He is my joy, my righteousness and freedom, my steadfast love, my deep and boundless peace. To this I hope, my hope is only Jesus. For my life is wholly bound to His. Oh, how strange and divine I can sing. All is mine, yet not I, but through Christ in me. The night is dark, but I am not forsaken. For by my side, the Savior, He will stay. I labor on in weakness and rejoicing. For in my need, His power is displayed. To this I hope, my shepherd will defend me. Through the deepest valley, He So 
It's been great worshiping with you today. I'm so glad that you've been here. Um, if you're visiting, don't just run out the door. Stick around and meet somebody. Um, we've got some bags for visitors right outside that say for our neighbor. We'd love for you to pick up one of those. Let me pray and we'll be dismissed. God, we thank you that you have given us Jesus Christ, and God, that you have given us reason for joy in the midst of struggles, God, in the midst of hard things, Lord, we can hold on and choose joy in Jesus. And so, God, I pray that this week you would give us the strength to practice that, to be people that shift our, our thoughts and our perspective towards you. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Church, you're dismissed. Have a great day. Oh, if you're a community group leader, stick around meeting is in the comments. Oh, too late, too late, sorry, it's already up.